back to the north. Slim chance of a shower tonight. Mostly sunny, dry, hot tomorrow. There may be a storm popping up with the heat tomorrow. But the atmosphere generally more stable as the front lifts back to the north. In the morning, 60s to 70. In the afternoon, into the upper 80s tomorrow. Back to widely scattered showers or some thunderstorms scattering about Friday, Saturday, as well as Sunday. And each day, upper 80s to near 90. Well, Sanji, WGSO. Here's some things you need to know if you're asked to evacuate due to an emergency. Establish a personal emergency fund. A few extra dollars could help cover a hotel or gas cost if you're forced to leave. If you need assistance for you or your pets to evacuate, find out what resources your local emergency managers have to offer. Develop an evacuation plan now. Determine where you'd go and how to get there. Have a go kit with emergency supplies and copies of important paperwork. Keep your phones charged and warned. This is the sunny voice of your local announcer, Tom Fitzmorris, here to steer the food show into deliciousness with you. Come on in and give us a call at 556-9696. Today we talk to Chef Wesley Rabelais from the Laurel Oak in the CBD. Yes, and but now, not until 2.30. Oh, well, we can feel uh, and the now, anticipation. Yes. Oh, no, he's he's going to be really good. Hi, Tom. Hi there, A.B. I mean... Uh, <laughs> Marianne. Uh, Marianne, yeah, something like that. <laughs> the Fitzmorris is here on the new reboot of the food show on WGSO, and uh, we'd love to talk to you. 556-9696 is the number. Love to talk with you. Yes. Uh, you pick one, and I'll, I'm already happy with it. Okay. So there we are. Yeah. Well, happy um, National uh, Wild Blackberry Day, Tom. Is it that? Yes. Uh, that... I should be saying that to Mary Lee, though. Yeah, you, you ought to be because yes. she's an expert <laughs> at collecting blackberries, which uh, are in this part of the world, and uh, very good. And a uh, good year this year for blackberries. Which is kind of interesting because it's been sort of dry. So usually you need a lot more rain. And I think that it is reflecting in the blackberries because they're smallish. There's a lot of them, but they're smallish. And we have a lot of blackberries that grow wild around here. We have the ones in the yard. We have the ones out further. We have the ones down the country road. So there's a lot of blackberries for, uh, for her to go and pick, which she does actually every single day. So we have a good stash of wild blackberries. It's what They're makes little, though. life happy. It, well, things like that, yes, they do. Unless you run into a snake, which sometimes does happen. Oh, snakes. Snake schmakes, yes. Yeah. Well, she puts boots on, and I have boots if I ever go with her. We used to go a lot, but we don't go quite so much anymore. I will read what you have in the almanac about wild blackberries, Tom. It is National Wild Blackberry Day. At this time of year in the New Orleans area, blackberries are uh, deeply, oh, blackberries are deeply related to um, dewberries. They're coming in uh, to fruition whenever they can. This is really, this is rather hard to predict. We find other, you know what, it's too dark in here. <laughs> this is too tiny and too light. Oh, Over here on the North Shore, spaces. we always uh, find fresh stands of, of fresh, where do you find fresh? Where do you find dewberries on the North Shore? Oh, I guess just in any place that has a little uh, 
What is a dewberry? A dewberry? That's, a, that's actually your edible dictionary. A dewberry is a fruit resembling a small blackberry growing on a brambly, thorn-covered vine. They begin as white flowers with five petals, then produce small green fruits that go through shades of red as they grow, becoming dark purple or black when they open. They are edible with a tart flavor. They're so small, however, that the typical picker eats them as fast as they pick. Dewberries are not grown commercially, but are much liked by people who have large patches of them. They grow for two years, first putting forth unfruited vines, then flowing and growing fruit on them the following spring. They leave behind dead canes afterwards that have a way of getting hooked on clothes hmm, or skin. Yes, we do have a lot of things that get hooked on clothes or skin around here, particularly going to the car. We have to really do something about those brambles. We have a few blackberries, back to the wild blackberries. We have a few blackberry vines, too, producing juicier berries, but no more of them. And we still have lots of fun going out there and picking the ripe black ones, eating as we go. We never get enough to do anything with them. One day, I hope to find out what we have to do to get as many berries once grew over a neighbor's lot until they, yeah, they did. They didn't ever build the house, though. We had so many blackberries down the road that we could just have buckets of them. And then I they know. mowed them down to build the house, but never did. And they make little noises in the uh, five in the morning. Uh, yeah. Which is next about, door. Yeah. Uh, in the illegal nursery. Ten yes. yards away from where I live. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Tom, today in 1923, Delmonico restaurant closed mm. as a result of prohibition. I would say, do you remember that? But no, you weren't there. But uh, apparently Delmonico was the earliest, the unequivocal earliest opening restaurant in America. But then it closed, so that puts Antoine's right there with the Union Oyster House, right? Yeah, they had a really nice uh, ongoing uh, committee of people keeping that all together. Mm -hmm. uh, at Delmonico? At Delmonico, uh -huh. yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, the, the name itself uh, is a reference to the New York, uh, uh, the exact same uh, place in New York City. Oh, we're not talking about the one here. The, I know, but the one yeah, here. Yeah, you're talking about the one here. It, I'm talking the, about the one in New York City. The name came from yes. here as well. Yes. Well, actually, the name that exists now on Emerald's Delmonico came from the Delmonico of Miss Rose and Miss Angie before that. Now, did they take the name? Did their dad, because it was their dad's restaurant, Miss Rose and Miss Angie. There were at least two different layers there before you get to the So did, the did their dad, the I'm sure you never met their dad because they were older ladies when you first met them. That's right. I, I never did get a chance yes. to, to meet them. The dad started it. But the two ladies right. who were among the most oh. delightful people and adorable. very much got oh, into my their goodness. business so adorable. could only smile at you. Delightful, delightful, lovely, lovely people. Um, their dad took the name for Delmonico from the Delmonicos in New York. Yes, uh, uh -huh. and you see that across America yeah. because uh, the word Delmonico itself kind of means restaurant. And it's taken that way in most parts of the country. Uh, we have a little bit more of it, and so we know. Does what it mean it means. Del, does it mean restaurant in some sort of um, European language translation, or does the name Delmonico 
uh, is it synonymous with restaurant because it is credited as being the first restaurant in America? Yeah, uh, it, and it is thought of that way. Okay. Uh, that if you've got a Delmonico, you don't just have a restaurant, you have a, a, a restaurant. A hefty restaurant. Yeah. You have a, a heavy hitting kind of place. And there they were. Mm -hmm. Well, what you have in your almanac is in 1923, Delmonico in New York City, city generally regarded as the first modern restaurant in America, opened in the 1830s. This It closed in on this day in 1923. Prohibition was blamed for its demise. Delmonico was the kind of place that went in for the most lavish of meals with celebratory quantities of wine and spirits. It just didn't seem right without the beverages, but styles were changing too, and Delmonico and the Jazz Age didn't really fit together well. It would later reopen, close, and reopen again. It's on now. That's right, it is, isn't it? Uh, it its intermittent pass allows Antoine's to claim to be the longest-running restaurant in the country. Many restaurants around the country used uh, to use Delmonico's name even when there was no connection at all. The one here, for example. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to go to Delmonico in New York. It's, it's, it's in interesting. the Flatiron Building, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's no, wait, still no, it's there. No, wait, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's way down on the tip. Mm -hmm. It's way down on the tip of it's, Manhattan. It's down in the... Yeah. The, 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 it's the, the Bowery? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, it's certainly not that. You... Uh, it's an area of a lot of business uh, building. Oh, well, maybe it is in the Flatiron District. I don't know. But it seems to me, if I remember correctly, um, actually, I probably don't remember correctly. But I know that we passed it, and I almost wanted to go in, but we didn't. But I've never been there, and I don't know that I ever will Park. go, because that would require me going back to New York. Hmm. I believe we have a caller. Do we have a caller, Henry? We might have a curler. No, um, I was actually wait, just letting you know how? that it's uh, near Battery Park in... Uh, yeah, so it is down. It's way down there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so it is. Um, it's not in the Flatiron District. It's in. Oh. It's way down in, in the bottom uh, or the, you know, at the well, tip. I, at the tip there. Uh, anyway, okay, so um, Tom, the... <laughs> yes. <laughs> the ubiquitous... Richard Collin comes up yet again today in the show. It's almost like he haunts the show. Uh, he kind of did. Yeah. And he kind of does. Yeah. He, he, he comes up yet again today because today the Greek philosopher Plato was born in 427 BC. His theories about uh, the ultimate expression of the state of being gave rise to Richard Collins' expression platonic dish in his New Orleans Underground Gourmet. That was the name of the book. We were looking for it the other day. The New Orleans Underground Gourmet, the city's first critical restaurant guide in the 1970s. The term was so original that it's stuck in local dining parlance and is still used often by people who have no idea where it came from. Some of the dishes he decided, or he decided were platonic were oysters Rockefeller at Antoine's, shrimp remoulade at Galatoire's, crab meat St. Francis at LaRouth's, and eggs hussard at Brennan's. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost self-obvious. Well, well, I have to say I don't necessarily agree with the crab meat St. Francis 
because... You don't like the way they well, do it? Well, you know or? what? I think that it's probably a good thing that I didn't go to LaRuth's very much because I don't know that I would have been as much of a fan of LaRuth's as everyone else was. But um, I finally did have the legendary dish Crab Meat St. Francis, which is on the menu at Gallagher's and Gallagher's 527 and Gallagher's Slidell. And I was underwhelmed. I was underwhelmed. I was not expecting it to be so loaded with breadcrumbs. I don't know why I accept breadcrumbs as part of a crab cake, but not in Crab Meat St. Francis. Mm. <laughs> that makes no sense at all, but I just didn't like it. Mm. It was okay. It was just, it was, it's, but it's a legendary dish. So maybe my expectations were too high or something. Could be. They were, uh, I still think they are since, uh, what Gallagher's? Yeah. It's oh, Gallagher's is fabulous. Yeah. Are you talking about Crabby St. Francis? Either one. Five five six nine six nine six. I have to remember to start giving that phone number more if you would like to get in on this conversation about crab meat St. Francis or any of the things that we have talked about already. Do give us a call. Five five six nine six nine six. We have Wesley Rabelais coming up at the bottom of the hour. Do we have a caller? Ron the Gourmet Waiter. It wouldn't be a show without Ron the Gourmet Waiter. Hi, Ron. Hi, Ron. Hey, good afternoon. How are you all doing? Good. Harry, who? No, he said, how are you all doing? These are some We're of fine. my favorite Let's... topics. I like crab cakes. I love Italian, as you found out yesterday about Cafe Nino. And I also love shrimp cakes. Shrimp cakes? Shrimp cakes. Yes. Huh. I'm sure you what make I... them. So what do you make them with? You just, like, grind up shrimp as a, as a, as a binder? Uh, I, I do... I cut the shrimp into very small pieces and I use some mayonnaise. I use a little bit of egg. I use some breadcrumbs, some Italian spices, and they come out really well. The trick is, is once you get ready to make it, you want the shrimp to be really cold. And the reason why is it, it'll, it'll flatten out on you if it's closer to room temperature. So what I do is I cut the shrimp up. I get everything else ready to go. And then I put the shrimp in the freezer for a little while to get them really cold. And then when you mold your cake, you'll find that your cake stands up. And that's what I, that's mm -hmm. what I want when I'm getting ready to go into the oven. Mm -hmm. And and does it does it tend to deflate once it's in the oven because it doesn't sound like there's very much to bind it? Um not really. Once it sets up, I find it stays put. I, I do little, I do yeah. my shrimp cakes and things. Here's a, a trick. Some, uh, just put a, a Campbell soup can around it. Cut the top and the bottom off, and now you're looking at a cylinder that you can see through. That's an mm -hmm. old Campbell soup can. Put that on a metal plate, and then just drop your ingredients right in. And then just go right into the oven, and then uh, pull the can out. You know, you've buttered the inside of the can so that it separates from the, from the shrimp cake. But that's what uh, Galatoire's 33, that's actually how they do it. They use a metal cylinder. Mm. Well, they're probably cake. not a soup can, though. <laughs> Correct, but I, I, I use like a I, cookie cutter or something. It's yeah, it's a it's a cylinder. It's it's just like a can. The other thing I noticed, uh, we were talking about um, uh, Cafe Nino, and one of the things he told me, I asked him one day. I said, "How do I make my pizza dough better?" And he said, "Okay, if you're doing it from home, he said use some right when you make it, but then take the rest of that pizza dough and put it in the refrigerator for a day or two. And that's what I did uh, three, two or three days ago. And I made some pizzas last night, and the dough was silkier. It was it was improved by being in the refrigerator for a day or two. 
Well, I know I got some Belgard pizza dough and had a disastrous time with it because I took it out of the refrigerator and it was closer to room temperature. So I think you're absolutely right. A, a cold dough is kind of essential. So then, well, what I'm saying is take the dough out of the refrigerator, let it get closer to room temperature. Now, there's another oh, restaurant in town, and what they do is they roll their, uh, they roll their pizza dough out because they make their dough from scratch. And I've been told by the kitchen that what they do is actually just let it sit up. In other words, it's, it's circular, it's ready for ingredients, and they just put these things all around the kitchen. And then, when the, and then when an order comes in, you grab one, and since it's been sitting there for an hour or two, it actually rises a little bit on its own. And they attribute those carbon dioxide bubbles into one of the reasons why their dough is known to be softer. You know what I think? I think that I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. I'm just gonna venture a guess that the answer to this next question is going to be yes. Ron, have you, the gourmet waiter, ever spun a pizza dough like you see in the movies? Absolutely. In the movies? Uh, I don't think so. Have you, Ron? Yes, I have. It's a great way to stretch it out originally, and then it, once it gets larger in size, I put it down and roll it the rest of the way. I'm not that good to where I can get that thing two feet in diameter without having a fist or something go right to the middle of it. Okay. I was thinking that you probably were that good, and it probably did work for you. I wouldn't even attempt it, but I, I figure that you probably had done it and that it did work for you. I'm making pizza again tonight. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to make you a video once I get good at that because you know me. When I yeah. get onto something, it, it's happening. And it is also known as a miracle. Yeah, that's what that's what I think it would be for me. All right, Ron, we got to go. Be Thank fun. you very much Thank for uh, giving us a call. Call us tomorrow. Great show Thanks. as always. Bye bye. You're listening to WGSO. The phone number is five five six nine six nine six. Give us a call. We'll be right back. Tito's Ceviche and Pisco Bar is a great little place on Magazine Street, serving cuisine not much seen in New Orleans. Peruvian food and Pisco, the national drink of Peru, with six different kinds of ceviche made from only local seafood and Pisco. You'll also find more familiar things like beef tenderloin tips and duck confit. Tito's Ceviche and Pisco Bar, 5015 Magazine Street, 267-7612. Downtown Covington is home to the English Tea Room, 20 years now. Think Scottish eggs for breakfast, high tea in a truly British setting, scones just like you'd find in Britain. If you can't visit them in Covington, see their tea menu online and order specially blended tea shipped out the next day. But you should visit. Think about a birthday party or a bridal shower there or a high tea. Gift cards are $20 off with a purchase of $100 or $10 with a $50 purchase. The English Tea Room, 734 East Rutland in Covington, EnglishTeaRoom.com. Parish Coffee is a small-batch, handcrafted blend of carefully selected Central and South American beans, skillfully roasted to produce a coffee that is aromatic when you open the bag, robust when it's brewed, and very smooth and mellow when you drink it. This is a coffee that will take you through the day, a gourmet roast without the gourmet price. Pick up a bag where you shop or go to parishcoffee.com and see the full line. Parish Coffee. Hashtag wake up to parish. I get misty just holding your hand. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to put, um, uh, what's his name? The the cowboy, uh, Bob Nolan. We're going to have to do Nolan. Bob Nolan. Yeah. Uh -huh, cool point. <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. You can do it live. Go ahead. I'll, 
Okay, we'll think about it. Let's go to Sal. Five five six nine six nine six. If you want to join us, hi Sal. Hi. Good afternoon to both of you. I have a, a question before I start my uh, observations of doing crab meat St. Francis. Tom, mm -hmm. you have eaten. I'm sure you have eaten both Gallagher's and Larue's crab meat St. Francis. You bet. Did you notice a difference between them? Because I was, I was, I'm, I'm not as privileged as to have had the opportunity to eat it with Larue's, but I've had mm -hmm. it at Gallagher's. And before I go into my observation of making it at home, I just wanted to know if you found that one or the other had more or less breadcrumb, or do you think that it was practically the same dish and made the uh, same it way? Was, it was distinctly uh, a smaller dish with, uh, in LaRouth's, uh, okay. in, in my experience. Uh, but it's funny because uh, they made their recipe so different from what you might have run into anywhere else that you might register it as that. It's hard well, to find that you, dish, isn't you, it? Uh, it's almost impossible, but uh, did you, just go to... Did you know? Yeah, I was surprised to see it at Gallagher's. Oh, yeah, yeah Gallagher's, you know? I was not thinking about then. I was thinking about way up uh, uh, in at the other end of the, of the city. Yeah, there's another one that has it? Yeah, there's a restaurant there that specifies on a lot of things like that. Yeah? Yeah. Well, okay, well, so what was your experience, Sal? Well, the reason I ask is because I've had it at Gallagher's and I've made it at home. And I agree with you, Marianne, that the, the amount of breadcrumb, if it's too much, it kind of overpowers the yes. crab meat and the bechamel. And the bechamel, and I followed the recipe that Tom puts on nolamealmenu.com, no, mm -hmm. which is, if, if I'm not mistaken, the exact recipe that Warren LaRouth used. And it is absolutely wonderful. And yeah. I'm wondering if, one, that maybe a restaurant like Gallagher's or any restaurant wants to use more filler and not as much of the, the, the quality ingredients to cut, cut into their profit margin. But mm. I've noticed that when I back off with the breadcrumb, it's a lot better because it doesn't overpower the bechamel. And my other observation is that Regardless of whether it's crab meat, St. Francis, or any other dish that calls for breadcrumb most of the time, it, mm -hmm. I, I only use enough to, call, to create the binding effect, yeah. and I don't want it to be enough, a lot of breadcrumb. I just want that breadcrumb to bind all of the flavors and the olive oils and the bechamel sauces or whatever the moisture is to bring it together. I don't want that to be the main Agreed. that I... That, I put in my mouth and I've done it at home. And one thing I will say is this, I've done it with store-bought crab meat in the container. And I've also done it with fresh boiled crabs of a crab boil that I've done at home. And let me tell you, there is a huge difference And the crab boil crabs are just so much more flavorful. And of course it's work. Of course it's So you have to pick all the crabs before you do it. Absolutely. But oh, I'll wow. tell you, it's worth, it's worth it. Okay. It's, it's, All right. But well, um, that's my observation and analysis on crab meat St. Francis. What? I'm sorry? Here's something uh, I don't think you'd believe, but it's true. Uh, over at LaRouth's, uh, when Warren LaRouth landed on something that he liked, 
it didn't matter whether any codes would be broken and he would just do it his way. The most interesting was that most of the artichoke, it comes in a canned artichoke there. Right. On, on, on huge piles of this stuff, because they, they went through lots and lots and lots of it. And you would eat it and you would say, this is the best artichoke I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and uh, over and over, and it went on for years. And a lot of the chef buddies would come in and they would chuckle to one another a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it wasn't something that you would hit him for, but uh, it's true. Well, nobody hit Warren LaRuth for anything because he was Warren uh, LaRuth. Well, um, unless yeah. you consider what I just said. Yeah, I no, no, right. I, I'd but be afraid to do knew. that. Yeah. All right, Sal, we, we, we have to move along. Right. Thank you for calling. Yeah. Bye. Five five six nine six nine six. Yes, Warren LaRuth was, for near as I could tell, and I didn't know him, but uh, pretty much untouchable, I would say. And the other, the other place that I didn't name for you that was, uh, mm. that had uh, some of those ingredients, or oh, crab meat, for most notably, was Clancy's. Clancy's to this day, their uh, all their crab dishes are. Really? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Clancy's, for somebody from Minnesota, he sure managed to nail the whole uh, thing, the whole New Orleans thing. Tom, Tom, did you like dinner last night? Did you enjoy dinner? We had dinner from Tony Mandina's. We picked it up. Tony Mandina's. We had the spaghetti and meatballs. We did not. Oh, is that what that was? Cause it I, was the spaghetti and meatballs, and then we had the oh, fried catfish and white beans. Yeah, we picked it up. And also, we got to try the me. red gravy, which I've been looking all over for, all uh -huh. over town, and it's nowhere to be found because it's always sold out. So now we have tried the red gravy, and I see why it's sold out. Mm. Tony Mandina's wow. over on the West Bank, West Bank Gem since 1982, run by Tony's daughter and granddaughter now at 1915 Pratt, 362, 2010. Tony Mandina's will be back. Louisiana Radio Network News, I'm Kevin Barnhart. Governor Edwards indicates he's open to compromising with the legislature on tort reform legislation aimed at lowering auto insurance rates, but on its monthly radio program, asked the governor, Edwards expressed disappointment over legislation that was rejected in the Senate he feels would have been effective in lowering rates. We simply shouldn't allow insurers to charge blue-collar people more than white-collar people, females more than males. They should not be able to charge poor people more because they have a poor credit history when they have a superlative driving record. Noah predicts a busy hurricane season in 2020 with a potential of 13 to 19 named storms, 6 to 10 hurricanes, and 3 to 6 major hurricanes. During the announcement, FEMA Activity Deputy Administrator for Resilience Carlos Castillo assured the public that the agency will be able to respond to a hurricane during the coronavirus pandemic, and history shows it can. In 2018, the agency responded to two major hurricanes on the East Coast and the worst wildfires in California history. At the same time, thousands of FEMA employees were still working recovery efforts for the devastating 2017 hurricane. LRN. Hey, it's me, Gus the Gopher for Atmos Energy. Being a gopher, I like to dig. That's what us gophers were born to do, along with eating plants, taunting groundskeepers, and listening to bluegrass music. And I especially enjoy digging around the yard. Occasionally, I bump into a utility line and I get a headache. Ouch! After all, they're hard to miss since they can be buried anywhere. But if you hit one with your shovel, backhoe, or ditch digger, you could cause a gas leak, disrupt service, or worse. Makes me shaking my paws just thinking about it. You can avoid all of this by calling 811 at least three business days before you or someone else digs in your yard to have those underground utility-owned lines marked. 
Calling 811 will help protect your property. And more importantly, you. It's free and it's the law. You dig what I'm saying? For more on safe digging, visit atmosenergy.com slash 811. I won't dance, don't ask me. I won't dance, don't ask me. I won't dance, madame, with you. Let's you know, go it to... keeps happening. What's that? Uh, I had my music here yesterday. Uh-huh. I don't have it here today. Oh, yeah. It's too bad. Unless it's over on Somewhere. the desk over there. Tom keeps leaving his little music books around. This is why we aren't I've doing got, any recording. So I know you got you. It's great. And we'll have to do some more. But I just keep saying we're going to do it, but we still haven't done it yet. Let's go to Wes Rabelais, yeah. who is the chef of Laurel Oak. And what are you doing right now? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me hey. on the show. Thank you. Um, Thank you for joining right us. Now, so where, where are you? Because you all are not open right now, right? No, we're not. So... Basically, we just have the management of the hotel that are kind of doing four 12-hour shifts. The hotel is open. However, uh, the decision was made to kind of close the restaurant until, you know, we can figure out what the best move is going to be. Um, so we're kind of getting to the end of that discussion, and hopefully we can get the doors open again soon. But I'm still at the hotel, just uh, working some front desk shifts, uh, doing whatever we can to, to keep it going. Boy, one of the things about this has been the timing. You know, there were the lucky timing people like the Bonton and the people who sold Pascal's Manali. And then there were the unlucky timing people who opened, what, two, three weeks before? When, when did yeah, you all open? Yeah. Yep. When did you actually open for business? So we had been open for probably about six months. Uh, oh, I would say we were, okay. I would say we were, we're going good with at least two meal periods for the past three months. So, I mean, we had proof that the concept would work. It's just now it's, it's what does the future look like for us? And I think that's what a lot of people are asking themselves. Uh, that is what a lot of people are asking. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the old proverbial lottery, some decisions were made. Some people, you know, came out looking good. And then, you know, unfortunately, you have the ones that kind of had the, the dreams of grandeur. And then this whole thing hits. And it's kind of, you know, I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, it's like Katrina and this and that. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is Katrina was, was a specific to an area. Right. This is, you know, global. So it's, you don't have as much aid coming as, say, you would during Katrina because it's spread so thin. So it'll be, it's going to be real interesting to see how the next, you know, year and a half go yeah. as far as yeah. the economy in New Orleans. Yes. Well, we have determined early on in the new uh, food show that it, we could talk about that, but everyone's talking about that all the time so we decided to make this sort of a respite from that so let's talk about food. yeah so um in your time i mean if you're not really cooking and you're working at the hotel then you probably have a lot of time to well i don't know you're probably working like you said 16 hour days so are you doing much cooking in lockdown so yeah me and my girlfriend took a lot at, at home and uh you know, for the first 
what was it, for the first month we were locked down, we kind of were using everything we had in the cooler to feed what staff we had there. Um, so, I mean, I've been, I've been cooking. It's not, you know, what we're used to. Well, what, what kind of cooking have you been doing? I mean, is it much more comfort food, much more, like, when you cook for yourself, what kind of food is that? I mean, I grew up in Homa, so, you know, we get the old one-pot meals, a lot of braises, stews. But, um, I mean, a lot of local farmers have been doing the, the farmer's boxes, which have been yes. really awesome. Um, mm-hmm. You know, actually, after you sit here and you, you, you buy a few of them, it's like, why haven't, why haven't this been a thing the whole time, you know? Uh, yeah. But, I mean, then you get to kind of play around with some things. You know, one of the recipes we, we played around with was this vegetable tart. Um, it's just a great way to kind of clean out the fridge, uh, any kind of vegetables you have, because, you know, a lot of times you'll buy some vegetables and you'll use some of them. And then it's like, ah, oh, what are we going to do with this? To me, this is a, it's, it's a good recipe to kind of use up any kind of vegetable trim you have. Have you ever seen that, that, um, comedy bit where, um, the, the person doing it was talking about having ordered those you know like blue apron kind of things where you would order this box and it would come and then the next one would come it was like lucy in the chocolate factory you know you're not finished yeah. with the one box and you have to figure out what to do with it so i think that there's a lot of great things that have come out of this i hate to say that because in everything you have a silver lining but the raw materials Absolutely. that have become available to the regular person uh, which were previously only available to chefs. I think that's a good thing. I would totally agree with you on that. Um, yeah. You can get, I just you think can get you, restaurant quality everything. Restaurant Depot is open to the public now. So, you know, things that, that you could only get in a restaurant, you've been able to get at home. Now, the question is, do you know what to do with it? So that's why we asked you on. Because right. uh, we'd like you to tell us, you know, what to do with some of these really gourmet things. Well, you know, to, to that point, it's, I think for a while, it's kind of the, the path of least resistance. You know, you had the restaurants buying it all up. Now they're not there. So it's, how do we keep revenue stream up? We don't have the restaurants. So it's, it's actually beneficial to the public that they now get the chance to kind of purchase some of these items that are, you know, yeah, absolutely. We did one, uh, you know, not far from where you're located. One of my daughters, uh, this is something that I hate to say in front of Tom because, first of all, it's a chain. We don't want to sully his reputation. But uh, my daughter and I love to go to Fogo de Chão and have mm-hmm. their, their salad bar. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. Okay, it's it's a salad bar, but not in the way that you're too young to remember 70 salad bars, but this yeah, is not yeah. that. This <laughs> is every imaginable, really exotic, incredible plant product iced down in a, in a beautifully arrayed way. And for $15, we would go there for lunch and just have a salad bar. And the, the Brazilian black bean stew, which I can't even pronounce, fejota or... Bayota or something. Really spicy. Yeah, it's really good. Anyway, um, this is we when I found out that you could buy the picana, which is a special kind of 
piece of meat that you could only get there. Uh, we had to get some it, and try it. It looked like it was a cut across uh, around. A yeah. And like a, a, a It's swirl. a special Brazilian cut, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's their best shot. It was good, but, you know, we didn't do it as well as they did no. it, of course. But yeah. it was fun to try it, at least, you know. Anyway, did you do? Have you done anything like that? Have you had a chance to, to do something really, really out of what you out of your normal wheelhouse? Um, I mean, you know, at work, we kind of when you're around other chefs, you know, you you always try and come up with some things outside the box. I think, uh, I think when you're at home, you know, you kind of, I mean, for me at least, you kind of play it safe. You know, kind of make sure. You know, it, it's not going to go to waste, if you will. Um, but, I mean, when we're at the restaurant, we're playing around with things, different cuts of meats. Um, you know, we'll ask our purveyors, what do you have coming in? What's new? What's different? And, you know, a lot of times they'll send us samples, and sometimes it's things that, like, I've never heard of or seen. It's, you know, somebody came up with it somewhere. And, I mean, it's always fun just trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, uh-huh. But you don't really you know, feel like exerting that much effort when you're at home just trying to relax. I mean, it's not that I don't feel like it. It's, you know, a lot of the times you don't have, like, the tools or the, yeah. the capabilities that you would as if you're at a restaurant with, you know, an $8,000 oven or, you know, $6,000 range. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're sitting here like the rest of, you know, people with, you know, bottom Regular of the line people, so, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Well, you're um, making me feel better because my daughter's always after me saying, you know, Mom, we gotta, we got to pick up our game here. And really, all <laughs> I want to do is, is, you know, roast meat and, and have a salad. But, you know, I, I feel like she's right. We do need to pick up our game because, you know, we have to write about this kind of stuff. So when you are, when you're just cooking with you and your girlfriend, um, have you, have you experimented in any way or have you pretty much settled on comfort foods and what would that be? So, I mean, I kind of, I kind of started to dabble with the grill. Um, I have this, this really basic, it was like 130 bucks at Lowe's barrel smoker. Um, and I've kind of since quarantine, if you want to call it started, I've, I smoked a whole brisket, um, We've done, I went fishing and caught some fish, so I smoked a bunch of speckled trout, uh, things like that. Just as much stuff as we can get on the, the smoker, I've been trying to to play around with that a little bit. The brisket okay, was so was did fun. you make like a fish mousse or anything, or did you just eat smoked, smoked trout? So I did it a couple different ways. Um, we have a smoked redfish dip on the menu at uh, Loyal Oak. Uh-huh. And I kind of did a play of that. We usually use uh, redfish, mm-hmm. but we had you know all this speckled trout we caught, and I mean, doesn't get any fresher than that. So I was like, well, let me try it with this. So you just put it on the grill. Uh, I put a little small pile of charcoal with some wood chips in the corner. I mean, I didn't really want too high a heat. I'm not trying to kill it. I just wanted it hot enough so it would slowly cook and get the smoke flavor. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, until I can pull the fillet apart and it was done, came out really good. What did uh, the you other put way I did it? it? Did you just? So I put. I, mean, uh, I just mix it with sour cream, a little bit of dill, some lemon juice, and some salt and pepper. 
super simple. No capers. Um, what's that? No capers. No, no capers. Uh, I salt the fish before I put it on, so you get the salinity. But no, I just I didn't do capers. Um, you can if you so want. So it was just I mean, it salt. Wouldn't... It was it was just salt on the fish. Yeah, yeah, just super simple, super light, clean. Mm-hmm. You know, let the fish stand for what it is. Uh, then just some little baguettes that you toast with some olive oil, salt, and pepper in the oven. That sounds really good, actually. All right, um, I'm going to ask you about about your brisket and how you did your brisket too, and also about the vegetable tart that you sent a picture of, which will be in nomenu.com tomorrow. But first, we need to take a break. We'll be right back with you. WGSO five five six nine six nine six. If you would like to talk to our chef, Wesley Rabelais from Laurel Oak. I have loved the Maple Street Cafe from the first time I walked into the place. Jamil Kutob turns out well-executed dishes that hint of the Mediterranean, but with a real New Orleans spirit. The grilled fish here is particularly excellent, but I have never had anything I didn't love. Call 314-9003 for their daily specials, which are exceptionally good and an exceptional value. Maple Street Cafe, 7623 Maple Street, Uptown. Casa Garcia is tucked into a shopping center where Metairie turns to Kenner. Octavio Garcia has been welcoming people in to enjoy the flavors of his homeland since 1984. Try the seafood sampler, seafood nachos, or a 14-ounce grilled pork chop. Octavio's mother, Sarita's tamales, are on the menu, but I'll stick to her delicious flan. Casa Garcia, 8814 Veterans Boulevard, Metairie. 464-0854. Annadell's Plantation is a stately bed and breakfast with beautiful grounds and two gorgeous rooms upstairs. It's a great getaway. The food here is that familiar Louisiana cooking inspired by Galatoire's with reasonable prices. A welcoming and cozy dining room and very special bar make this a hidden gem. Annadell's Plantation, 71518 Chestnut Street, Covington, 985-809-7669. When you're awake, the things you think come from the dreams you dream. Thought has wings and lots of things are never what they seem. We're back with Wesley Rabelais here on the Ask the Chef segment. If you would like to ask the chef something, 5569696 is the number. You're on the Food Show with Tom and Barry Ann Fitzmorris. All right, so tell us how you did your brisket. Yeah, we'd always, yes, we'd always like to see that. Brisket, okay. yeah. Brisket. So it's, it's still there, Wesley? Is he? Oh, yeah. It's very uh, labor-intensive. So um, <laughs> you don't like investing a lot of time. Hours? How many hours in the cuspid? I did 12. Tom has smoked many a brisket in his day. I did 12 hours at, I tried to keep it no higher than 260, but right around 250, um, mm. which turns out it takes a lot more charcoal and wood chips than you would think. <laughs> um, but it was, it, it was fun. Uh, this was, I would say this was my first full go at like no gas, no artificial heat, just straight coals and wood. And, uh, mm-hmm. the prime, we were, we were, yeah, we were pleasantly surprised. You know, we wrapped it in, uh, saran wrap and foil at the end for an extra hour. I mean, we were, the only thing I would say is 
it kind of got a little crispy at the bottom, but the inside was nice and tender and juicy. It's just hard to protect that bottom layer, you know, 12 hours without having any rough the spots. The smoking goes in for me. I, 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 yeah. I add a little, little smoke to take care of that problem I have. Uh, we like it crispy. My daughter and I, uh, this is why, this is another, going back to the, I always talk about us being sort of like the cavemen wives. You know, we like the smoked meats and the, the crispy char on the outside. So uh, when it's crispy, um, you know, it's like it's like your beef tips, you know. Um, yeah. You like everything, the end of it. So if you don't have someone like that, then that could be a problem. But in our case, that's really great. It was, I mean, it was a great learning experience. It, it came out really good. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing it again. It's just, it's such have a you time. Done, have you tried a, um, to do pulled pork that way? Yes, uh, I've done pulled pork many a times. It's just the brisket that was, you know, the elusive. <laughs> well, we it's a long time. It. I mean, we used to, we were talking about this the other day, we used to uh, smoke briskets for the school fair when our kids were little. And Tom, like I said, has done many, many, many briskets. And by that, I mean at the same time on one of those kinds of smokers that you pull behind a car. And, and, it, and it pulls out the meat. Yeah. And it stays nice and yeah, it was tender major. and and it's wonderful. Yeah. There's there's not a oh, lot yeah. better than a good smoked brisket when it's been smoked. No, it really isn't though. It really isn't. Yeah. Except maybe brisket nachos. That's that's pretty good well, too. So you gotta what get else the brisket first though, you know? Wait, what? Um, I said first you gotta smoke the brisket to get yeah. the nachos. Yeah, yeah. So what else have what you been doing? So we, we did a, um, a good friend of mine has a charter fishing company down in Kokendry mm -hmm. and, uh, we did one of those, oh, a couple weeks ago. So we're kind of knee deep in fish right now, which to me isn't a bad thing, but we've been, no. we've been eating a lot of fish lately. Uh, last How night I did, uh, so, I mean, the first night, of course, you got to do the obligatory fish fry, um, we do the, I mean, back when I was a kid, we used to go fishing. You'd come home, you'd get the Zatarain's fish fry with extra lemon in it. You know, have the neighbors over, do some fish fry, but, you know, social distancing. We were by ourselves. <laughs> um, but did the fish fry, a little potato salad. Uh, that was the first night. Since then, we've done, we actually, we caught a couple of sheep's head, and I seared those fillets in a pan. Did a little shallot, garlic, caper, threw in a little bit of butter and let that brown. Then I hit it with a bunch of lemon juice and parsley. And we had that on some, just some plain white rice one night. And then last night I did kind of a, a Thai version. I did a green curry, a coconut green curry, uh, steamed the fish. Hmm. And we had a bunch of uh, snow peas squash, zucchini, peppers, just did a quick stir fry of that and had that on it with a, some Mediterranean couscous, pure curveball in there. Okay, that's gourmet. That's, that's serious home cooking gourmet, yes, I would say. Um, so what did See, you, you, you did a curry, was it a, um, like you said you, you steamed the fish first, so you just yeah. put like a piece of fish in a steamer? Um, so I'd use the like a 
shallow frying pan. Uh-huh. And I just did some chicken stock, some ginger, some garlic, some lemongrass. Uh, we had some mint, so I did the mint stems and used the mint and the curry at the end. little chicken stock, and I let that simmer for probably 30 minutes. I didn't even strain it. I just laid the fish on top. Didn't uh-huh. season it, no salt or pepper, just let the liquid season the fish. And then my curry had all the seasoning in it, so you put the sauce around it, eat the fish, so you get the nice, pure, you know, speckled trout flavor, and then the flavors of the curry comes through. Were you happy with that? That sounds really great. Yeah, it was It was actually really good. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Well, you know, I find it kind of hard to go past just basic fried fish, but when you start really experimenting with things like that, you can really, really uh, do wonderful things with fish. I wish that I had the imagination for that sort of thing. I don't know if that's something that comes with culinary school or if it's an intuitive thing. Were you always, did you learn from your um, your mother or, I mean, how did you get into it? Yes, I mean, my mom was a big part of how I got into cooking. Uh, you know, both my mom and my dad's side of the family had phenomenal cooks in it. Um, and holidays were really special for us. Um, so it was either when I was a kid, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, and then I realized how much math and physics went into that, and I was like, oh, this probably isn't going to work out too good. <laughs> so then I just loved cooking. Um, always did. I used to watch uh, Justin Wilson, Jacques Crepin, uh Gosh. I mean, Emerald, when he started out on the same TV. coin at all. Um, but just, I mean, uh, they used to have a program that ran, it was, uh, Great Chefs of the World. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that was a, and, that was a series on television. I, I have, uh, yeah. books for them. And I, mm-hmm. I remember watching it all the time. So you're whenever, saying that you were yeah. self-taught? Were you self-taught? No, I went to school in New York eventually, but I mean, growing up, it was any kind of show or anything I could watch, I, I was always watching it, and it, uh-huh. I mean, it definitely fueled the fire to eventually go to culinary school. And then, you know, here I am today. <laughs> yeah. So when your parents were um, cooking, was it mostly like if you said you're from Homa, so it was sort of Cajun down home on the bayou kind of stuff, huh? Nothing um, gourmet. So my dad's side of the family was definitely, I'd say, more the Cajun. My mom's side of the family was kind of New Orleans Italian. Mm. So... Her side would cook, you know, the eggplant parmesan, the chicken parmesans, uh, and then, you know, my dad's grandma, she would cook the whole fried catfish from the and she would do, you know, seven steaks and gravy with rice, um, I mean, those kind of things. So it was, yeah, I, so I kind of no, had a... No curries and lemongrass, just basics. No, no, oh, yeah, that's, that came down the road, you know? <laughs> Are your parents uh, are your parents more adventuresome eaters now that you've been a chef? Yeah, I think they kind of always have been. Uh, you know, growing up in Homa, I mean, there's really not a crazy variety. So, you know, to say an adventurous eater, it's like they are, but if you don't travel or right. have the opportunity to eat, you know, adventurous food, if you will, then it's kind of hard to say if you're an adventurous eater. 
I mean, yeah, well, sure, there's things that people don't. I'm sure that <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. it's opened up a world to them. Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody has things they don't like, but I think there's definitely things in each type of cuisine that you can't help but love. But if you haven't had them yet, you wouldn't know. Well, Italian would certainly be top of my list for something you just can't help but love. And I wonder if there's yeah, anyone for, sure. for whom that is not true. That, because it's just really soul-satisfying kind of food, I think. You know? Yeah, just, yeah. You just can't beat it. So if you had to leave us with a couple of tips for people who wanted to maybe break outside the box, uh, what would you say? Like, how would you venture into the deep water? So, I mean, for home cooks, if you're looking to improve your cooking at home, there's two basic things I would say are a necessity. One is nine times out of 10, you have something good going. You just need to season it heavier. So I would say taste more throughout your cooking, probably season things a little bit more than you think you would. And the second thing is a lot of times people are scared to cook high heat at home. And like, I get it. You know, I've done this. I've done this, you know, for, God, 18 years now. So, I mean, I'm not scared of a little grease splatter in here and there. When you're searing something and you're trying to get some color, it's it's going to make a little bit of a mess in the kitchen. But if you're not used to it, it can be scary. It's, you know, that's another one for me is like, you know, don't be scared of a little sound or a little bit of residual yeah. grease splatter. Go for it. Get the color. You won't be disappointed, you know? Yeah. Same thing, your oven goes, your oven does go higher than 500 degrees. A lot of people don't know this. <laughs> you can yes, set it at 525. Why would you cook that was more than, that'd be more than 500 degrees? So we've been doing pizzas in the pizza oven. Oh, 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 really? So like we've you've been, been going up to the 800s? No. Not the 800s. I mean, I set it at 500 mm-hmm. and I put a pizza stone in there and then we used a ah. little, we have this. We have this like square cutting board. It's not really a pizza peel, but we make do. Mm-hmm. And then you sprinkle some flour, put your dough on, and then you, you know, like you're putting it in a pizza oven, you just slide it off onto your pizza stone in your oven, and uh-huh. it comes out great. But if you okay. don't have your oven set high enough, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, when you said your, your, your oven goes higher than 500, I was thinking, well, you know, I've never even investigated that. I'm going to get up in the break and go see how high the oven does go because I don't normally cook with a hot, hot oven. But I do cook with a hot, hot skillet. I mean, I, I have, oh, yeah. when I turn something on, it goes up to high right away. And, uh, and I've, I've almost burned the house down a few times like that. Great. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, we have to let I you mean, go, uh, probably, Wesley, because we're about to come to the top right, of the man. hour. But thank you so much for being with us. And good luck getting back into the, you know. And, and when you come to New Orleans, oh, I'm sure you do once in a while, uh, give us a call and maybe we'll get together and, and uh, pull all of this and. And we'll show yeah. you what we're doing, and I'd love to see what you're doing. So uh, thanks a lot. Take care, Wesley. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. All right. 556 uh, if you would like to talk to us after the top of the hour. We are going to be going into the news, but then coming back with Tom's vintage piece, which today is going to be Crozier's. And it's funny that, oh, we, <laughs> it's funny that we were talking about him. 
the other night. I guess it's because Mary Lee pulls these vintage pieces, and that's how we got to talking about them. But there is much to say about Gerard Croger, and if you would like to get in on that conversation, we're going to go kind of through his career here. He has passed away, which is a very sad thing. He was uh, he ran some really great restaurants. But um, but we're going to be talking uh, Crochets and Gerard Crochet and Chateaubriand and all of those. You're listening to WGSO here in New Orleans 990. We're going to go to the top of the hour news and be back for some more after that. Hey, this is William Wallace with William Wallace for America. You can hear me on Tuesday nights from 5 to 6 here in WGSO 990 AM, New Orleans, Louisiana leaving one security force member injured. The facility has been on lockdown since early Thursday morning. Senators are looking into the impacts of coronavirus on the elderly. COVID-19 has brought tremendous hardship and tragedy and imposing a deadly toll on seniors in particular. Opening a hearing, Maine Republican Susan Collins noting the ongoing problems in nursing homes. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is asking President Trump for a federal emergency declaration to help the response to this week's catastrophic flooding in Midland County. The area has seen six to eight inches of rain over the last 48 hours, causing two dams to fail. And you're listening to USA Radio News. Extend your life with After about a month of Extendivite, I don't know what it is about uh, the circulation factor, I was able to increase the weight, increase the amount of sets I could do. It has to do with the oxygen getting to the blood. You should market this uh, as an athletic performance. And I don't change anything about my diet or anything. I just thought, what the hell is in this stuff? This is amazing. Bilberry extract has got something called resveratrol in it, which is the same stuff that you get from red wine. It's also good for eyesight. And I was reading that the uh, Royal Air Force during World War II would give their pilots bilberry jam so they could have better night vision stuff. This is amazing. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with some researchers claim tens of thousands of lives could have been saved if the nation had taken action sooner when the coronavirus broke out. USA Radio Network's Chris Barnes has details. The federal government started recommending that states adopt stay-at-home orders and social distancing guidelines in mid-March. But the Columbia University study suggests that the U.S. could have saved nearly 36,000 lives from COVID-19 if that action had been taken just a week or two sooner. The study focused on infection rates in metropolitan areas and suggests that early action could have avoided more than 700,000 cases of the virus up to May 3rd. The number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits in the two months since the coronavirus took hold of the United States has swelled to nearly 39 million. This as states continue to gradually reopen their economies and let people go back to work. Last week alone, 2.4 million people filed first-time jobless claims. And you're listening to USA Radio News. 
Are you tired of high cable TV rates? Sign up for Dish today and get a $500 bonus offer while supplies last. Plus, lock in your price for two years guaranteed. Call All-American Dish, your dish-authorized retailer now. 800-610-5739. 800-610-5739. That's 800-610-5739. Offers require credit qualification, 24-month commitment, early termination fee, Eddie auto pay. Restrictions apply. Call for details. As restaurants across the country slowly and safely begin to reopen, and in many cases only at 25 or 50 percent capacity, there's a lot of talk regarding the Paycheck Protection Program and the parameters around the loans that small businesses were granted. One of the things that has many restaurant owners concerned is the fact that they have to use 75 percent of it on their payroll, and it has to be used up within eight weeks of taking the loan. Jose Sill is the president of Restaurant Brands International. He tells Fox News this is one of the things he's hoping that can get resolved regarding new legislation. Tonight, the rain chance settles down. The front lifts back to the north. Slim chance of a shower tonight. Mostly sunny, dry, hot tomorrow. There may be a storm popping up with the heat tomorrow. But the atmosphere generally more stable as the front lifts back to the north. In the morning, 60s to 70. In the afternoon, into the upper 80s tomorrow. Back to widely scattered showers or some thunderstorms scattering about Friday, Saturday, as well as Sunday. And each day, upper 80s to near 90. Well, Sanji, WGSO. Here are some things you need to know if you're asked to evacuate due to an emergency. Establish a personal emergency fund. A few extra dollars could help cover a hotel or gas cost if you're forced to leave. If you need assistance for you or your pets to evacuate, find out what resources your local emergency managers have to offer. Develop an evacuation plan now. Determine where you'd go and how to get there. Have a go kit with emergency supplies and copies of important paperwork. Keep your phones charged and warm. Show. I back to does too. It's Tom and Marianne Fitzmaurice. Five five six nine six nine six is the number. Tom, you remember Crochets? I sure do. We talked a long time about Gerard Crochet the other day. We did just at home, just shooting the breeze. Well, it's probably because we were Mary Lee was looking up and and noticed the Crochets restaurant in the vintage piece and wanted to know about it. But he has an extensive career in New Orleans, starting way back in what, the 60s or 70s? Gerard? Mm-hmm. Mostly yeah. uh, in the 70s, but quite a bit in the 60s. So he uh, came here where? He was one of those Royal Sinesta chefs? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, at, at the first it was. It was the Royal Sinesta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Archie, uh, not Archie, um, uh, Willie Cone. Willie Cone mm-hmm. worked with them. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. And then they both. Did they come together? Uh, I don't think they did, but they knew one another. Uh-huh. And they're, they're two lives. Two great European chefs. This is how the great merging. European chefs made it here. They came they, in a hotel. That's exactly how, yeah. the, mm-hmm. how uh, it went. And uh, he was here, and uh, they thought, you know, this is the perfect spot. And they did it in the hotel for a while. And then the two of them had the same idea at the same time. Why don't we do a restaurant for the two of us? And they wound up deciding they wanted to do something like that, but they were going to break it into two. Yeah, so well, yeah. Willie Cone, yeah. which was uh-huh. down, down in the West Bank to begin with. So he, uh-huh. And it was just called Willie Cone's, right? Willie Cone's. Yeah, okay. 
And, uh, and he's then, still around. We have to have he him is. on. He is. I ran into him at one of the... People keep saying they run into him. I, you, yeah. know, you know, I think that... Um, I think uh, at Middendorf's. He I would think certainly he hangs out be there. Yeah. Sometimes he lives in Slidell. Okay, so that's yeah. why. That's why they saw that they had. The, that's why they yeah. had. Um, but the but the original time I bumped into him, uh, it's very memorable. At least it is for me. Uh, I was working at the New at New Orleans Magazine, uh-huh. and our offices were out on the uh, the highway that goes from Slidell to downtown New Orleans, and. Uh, I, store the place I was I was just just following it and I looked at a sign and said French style French cuisine dinner mm -hmm. and I pulled off to the side and I said what <laughs> it, it was a little spot in us was uh, it on, on Morrison Road was on, it right no it wasn't Morrison Road it was a like tertiary uh route it was on were, it was on the service road at Morrison yeah, wasn't it, it it was like a two two different yeah. uh, categories there but the, Just um, a little white building, I remember it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and a big sign on the front. Mm -hmm. And I walked in there, and and they one of the things they had was uh, a steak that involved some foie gras and a couple other things. And I thought, that's got to be hilarious. Mm -hmm. So I parked my car, and I went inside, and there was a lady there. That was uh, Evelyn. 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 Evelyn Bryce. Uh huh. No, Bryce. No. Excuse me. Wrong. Evelyn Crochet. They, they were. Good friends right. for their whole life. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, I went inside. I went through the menu and I ate all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And Evelyn was looking at me, and she had a look on her face that was, "Wow, this is uh, this is a this good guy thing. knows something." Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, so I went in there. I had uh, he actually, she actually still remembers it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't quite remember it, it, it but what it, your first time there? It's I had some. Uh -huh snails and then i had a salad i think and then uh, the foie gras with the uh uh was there anybody there and all that no oh well but <laughs> they, they got a few more uh-huh but as time went on it became popular and then really popular and to anybody who lived over there who had a taste for food uh they were very happy about it because the prices were very af affordable mm -hmm. And I'm sure your discovery of it didn't hurt. Them. Well, I don't you know, know about that, but uh, this I do know. In New, in New Orleans East, uh, there are things. The most unlikely going, place. <laughs> well, uh, that's what everybody <laughs> thought, but a lot of people uh, were driving around and saying, "Now wait a minute, we could we could put one here. We put a whole uh, a generation of of people here." And uh, Gerard was nodding at this, and mm -hmm. that's what he had in mind, too. But the way things went was different. Mm -hmm. And How long were they out there? And uh, what, and what caused them to not be out there? Years. Well, first thing, the oil they, bust, was they it? moved the restaurant about a block, uh -huh. the whole restaurant. I remember by that time, his son was going to Jesuit. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. And uh -huh. and every time I went there, he would say, "Mr. Fitzmorris, I eat snails now." You know, he <laughs> was trying to, <laughs> like, you couldn't eat uh -huh. snails from Gerard. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> he he's Mr. Snail. Uh huh. So uh, anyway, uh, I and everybody else uh, uh, went there. It was you had to get uh, 
reservations in advance pretty often. Really? Yes. It was that busy? It was that wow. busy and then some. Uh-huh. Out but in New Orleans East. Out in New Orleans wow. East. And that was the still some more uh, uh, fans about that. You went there and you had a reservation and everything, mm -hmm. except that you still had to wait another 15 minutes because it was that popular. Hmm. And it was that way all the time. Out and, of New Orleans East. And his son, the snail, was uh, there all the time. Now, why did they move to Metairie then if they were doing that well in New Orleans East? Because this was well, we pre-Katrina. No, every, it, it was a... a, a it was an well, anomaly there out was, there for sure. There was one, there was one problem, uh, and this is a strange one. Uh, the, the New Orleans uh, authorities, I don't know which, which ones exactly, uh, they decided to crash down on drinking and uh, smoking driving. dope or, you know, whatever uh -huh. it was. And so they... Uh, <laughs> I want to make it clear that was not going yeah. on in the restaurant. Go ahead. And uh, so uh, the, the the police came in. So it's like too far to go so for people to have a drink and then drive. You would better okay. damn well not And they were watching ticket. him. They yeah. were watching him. Okay. That's right. I see. And they crashed down. Uh -huh. so, uh, so he moved. Mm. And uh, moved out to Numo in, to Metairie. Yeah. And they were there for quite a while. Where, if you don't know, we're talking about where the Bistro Orleans is. Bistro Orleans, right. Uh-huh. That's where Crozier's was for a while. I think we have well, a caller. Yeah. we have a caller? Well, let's find out. And, and he had a lot of friends, and well, he should have. Yes. Uh, Gerard Crozier. Crozier. Do we, we do have a caller, or we don't? We are here, yes. It is hey. on the Gourmet Neighbor. How are you? Hey, how are you? Oh, busy, busy, busy. <laughs> Busier than I would like to be. But it's, it's getting better. It's okay. Good. It's getting a little better. So, crochets. Wow. I would give anything to be able to go have another meal at crochets. What a great he was, guy. He was a great guy. He was, he was quite the character. And yes. I don't care if you went there on day one or the last day he was open. The food was always the same. Always mm -hmm. perfect. Mm -hmm. His his restaurant walked on water, really. It was it incredible. Always totally consistent. We had very time. high standards. Very high he standards, did. but he uh, you know he would throw things around a little bit too. I mean, he was he was mm -hmm. just a great great guy. The he did a the the tornadoes with the paragadine sauce were just awesome, and he always served it with a with a, what appeared to be a plain white rice. And I would yeah, always right. ask him. But a perfect one. A perfect one. I perfect. kept going over there and asking him, would you please show me this again? And he did once and once and once. I don't know what he was doing, but it never about came rice? out. Yeah, it didn't uh, yeah. come out yeah. the way I got it. He, 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 would, would, he, he would pull down the front, throw something in, push it back again, came back yeah. 15 minutes later. Perfect rice. Yeah. Absolutely he would, perfect. he would never. He would never tell me how he did it. He said, oh, it is just some salt and some water and some butter out in the bowl. That is not what's in that rice. I don't know what's in that rice, but it was delicious. So yeah. we, had been eating there, we had been eating there for a while. We put it in our rotation. This was way back when we were first married, so quite some time ago. And uh, we always wound up eating, at, eating there on a Saturday evening at the same time the chef and Evelyn, and Evelyn would eat. And, and the snails. So, right. So we wound up always pretty much eating at the table next to them. So we would mm -hmm. always talk and chat, and he would always get very upset 
uh, when someone brought in a bottle of wine, especially a bottle of wine that was on the list, and he would just get furious. Uh, so yeah. I can we see went, that. So the next time we came in, I told Evelyn, look, I'm going to bring a bottle of wine just to really tick him off. Oh, that, that'll be funny. So I stopped and I bought a bottle of Night Train, put it oh, in a right. paper bag, and Evelyn decanted it. And he came to sit at his table and he stops dead in his tracks and turns around and Evelyn said, what is that smell? And he could smell it from a table away. It was, it was, it was so funny. He, he, was, a, he, he was a great guy and I do miss both of them. He had quite the French temper, which I really, I, I really enjoyed to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you were brave to do that because he really did have a French temper. He well, did, he, but he, he didn't really mean it. He was no, he was mellow. He knew, us. He, he knew us at this point, and when when he when he said something about the smell, Evelyn just cracked up. I mean, she you know she was in on it with us. So it was, uh, and even his chicken. He did a dish with chicken and his mushrooms. everything. Well, what, you remember that dish? It was chicken, and they had mushrooms in it. I don't remember what it was, but it was the simplest of ingredients, and he was doing fresh. And farm to table before anyone was doing fresh and farm. Yeah, to table. Mm-hmm. Yep. you know, before it was in vogue, he was doing it. Tom was he so, from Lyon? That's exactly right. Okay, yeah. 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 Well, that's that's too. sort of the that's sort of the the center of uh, of culinary excellence, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah it's uh, in, in France, but, but simple, you know. Mm-hmm. In, in France, France though, simple, they but they they regarded as being the great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Food area of uh, France, yeah, which yeah. is saying I'm something. Try- and it, but it's I'm kind trying- of peasant stuff, you uh-huh. know what I mean? So that's, that's so. why he was able to make rice taste like that with just water and butter, right. you know? I think he well, was sneaking something in that uh, rice, there, but anyway. There was something new <laughs> every time you see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's that's, that's- an utterly unique individual. Just one of those people who, you know, you, you meet once or twice in a lifetime and you always remember them. And yeah. in a way, yeah. you always miss them. Even even though you weren't that close to that person, you felt like you yeah. were. He made you feel like that. You know? Yeah, it's it really sad what happened to him. The idea that the last job he held was a Walmart greeter. Well, he was it was just something it. really depressing about that. Well, let me let me give it, tell you something about it that will take that away and make you happy again. He started doing that. He was, a, 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 as you say, he was... A, the guy who opens up the door yeah, at yeah, Walmart. Walmart, Walmart greeter. yeah, a greeter, and he didn't do anything special. Uh, he would just greet everybody. He would smile at everybody. They'd joke around a little bit. Uh, and what he told me later is that I didn't. I was fixed. I didn't need any. Yeah, he didn't need to do anything uh, and, else. Uh, yeah. but I just like being with the people. Uh huh. Right. And I've uh, I've always thought now there is a brilliant approach to getting the world to be right. No, he died he died of a heart he, attack, correct? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, no and one he was, knows he was actually. young. No, that's what happened to him. I yeah. thought it was, sudden, he was, he was only sixty three. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And and he was skinny as the rail and a runner and all that. So it's that's one right. of those things ab- where it's the were last avid, person you expect. They were yeah. avid runners. He and his wife were yeah. avid runners. Yeah. And, yeah. Do, and, you, know, do you know is his son still here? 
Or is this I don't know. They moved, don't know. To, they moved to Tennessee. I know that. When he closed Chateaubriand, they moved to Tennessee, and then the last thing we heard was that he had passed away. I see her yeah. every now and then, and of all places, Antoine's. Oh, well, she probably is oh, back in town. Maybe her son is here. Huh? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, if anyone knows Francois. the answer to these questions, what? Francois. No, you, I think you it's answered, Francois, right. isn't it? Yeah. Right, it is, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Okay, guys, well, you guys Nice to hear from you. you. Hang in there. there. Nice. All right, you guys take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Don, the gourmet neighbor. I love, I love the fact that he's such a good neighbor. I wish he was my neighbor. 5569696 is the number. There is much to say, as you can tell, about Gerard Croger, who was quite the talent and uh, operated a number of great restaurants here before finally just throwing up his hands. I mean, after a while, you just get tired of the, the gods not willing it. We'll get into more of the story of what happened with Gerard Croger and how just one thing after another conspired to... Uh, to have him throw up his hands. We will be back. You're listening to WGSO 990 here on The Food Show. The Pelican Club is one of the best restaurants that has ever been in New Orleans. Now celebrating 30 years, owner Richard Hughes offers a polished and more sophisticated version of all the classic New Orleans dishes with a modern twist like his signature seafood martini and Asian-inspired whole fried fish. This place just feels good to me, and the food is always superb. The Pelican Club, 312 Exchange Place at Bienville, 523-1504. The New Orleans Ice Cream Company offers a true taste of New Orleans in every bite. This is ultra-premium ice cream whose flavors are inspired by everything we love to eat in New Orleans. Twelve specialty flavors like Café Olay and Beignets, Bananas Foster, Creole Cream Cheese, Ponchatoula Strawberry, Coffee and Chicory, and Chocolate City. Remember that? Don't miss the po'boy ice cream sandwich, New Orleans ice cream, at stores all around town. See all our products at NewOrleansIceCream.com. One of my favorite roast beef poor boys isn't a poor boy place at all. DiMartino's is a wonderful restaurant with traditional Italian food and excellent fish and chicken dishes, as well as the muffalettas for which they are known. With three locations on the West Bank that are more casual, the Covington restaurant feels upscale with good food and great prices. It's a winner. DiMartino's Covington, Marrero, Algiers, and Terrytown. DiMartino's.com. I'll take Manhattan, the Bronx, and Staten Island too. You know, we've had. Well, uh, he can sing, huh? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, uh, this um, in the last uh, half hour or so. We actually used one of the one of my songs. Yeah. It was just one of those things, just one of those crazy things, other things that lied you. You know that's. We're that's gonna have to problem. record that among the things, the other things we have to record. Let's go to Dev five five six nine yeah. six nine six. Yes, Dev. Hello. Yes, it's me. Hey. I heard you talking about Gerard and Evelyn. I had to call in. That was my. That was our Friday night spot. Was it? And I was so I was so disappointed. Yeah, I used to love to interact with Gerard and Evelyn. Of course, the uh, I still keep up with Evelyn. Actually, I, matter of fact, I was in Leon and I tried to look her up. I even took a cooking class, thinking maybe. Wait, is she in Leon? She went back to France. She might be. No, she's in Tennessee, and she yeah, has yeah. some friends okay. in okay. Florida. And I, what I hear from her now is um, on LinkedIn and through her Gmail account. You know, just uh, okay. basic up, updates. But and uh, what about really Francois? Loved her, loved him. Francois, I'm his sorry, son, his son. 
Yeah, what happened to him? Where is he? To, um, what was his name? He was a kick. Well, last it was time Francois. I him, was Francois, that's Francois, right. Francois that was... was Francois, the last time I saw him, he was probably six or seven years old. And I don't know oh. what's happened. I really have no idea. I'll ask her. I'll ask okay. her and give you a report. But, you know, okay. my favorite thing about Gerard was everything he cooked and going to the place. And But I would love to change the name of his menu. Like, he had a uh, a salad. I used to just call it, I'll take the greasy lettuce salad. It was basically just a lettuce <laughs> Pizza lettuce oh, with his dressing fabulous. on it. And when I would order it as the greasy lettuce salad with a few mushrooms from Eveline, and she'd tell him, and he'd come out to the table, what are you talking about? Or if anything <laughs> was ever wrong, even if it wasn't, if I make mm-hmm. it up, that's how I would get him out of the kitchen. Just mention that uh, this is tough. You know, uh-huh. where, where'd you get this at Swagman's? You know, where'd this beef come <laughs> from? Right. Oh, like that. that's we a just, shame. That Did everybody it? try to poke him? It sounds like everybody tried to poke Gerard. Well, I you loved couldn't him. get away with anything that. he could tell you. But he, wasn't his dressing it, incredible, that French dressing? It was. And the, I remember the Bavavois and the something he had called Floating Floating Island. I used to yes. floating ridicule island. those yeah, that's, as being a, that's a caramel you know, custard floating on some uh, <laughs> right. uh, sauce. No, I was thinking more along the lines of that Mexican uh, oh, flan. Flan. <laughs> <laughs> the flan. I have, oh, that, flan. I have a feeling that Gerard Crochet's flan was better than you get at a cheap Mexican restaurant, Tom. Just guessing. Yes. He was, so uh, when, when you he went did. out there, were you going out to the New Orleans East restaurant or the one in yes, Metairie? I was. Okay. I was. I was, going, I was going to the New Orleans East restaurant. I remember he had quite a following. Quite, you'd see quite a few people out there in the small spot that he had in that shopping center. And, you know, I think he, yeah. I listened to your reason for his move. I think it had, was a cultural move, too. You know, there was a lot of change population going on up there. And yeah. I think his market just shifted. And uh-huh. he went to, I, went, I remember when they, we followed him, of course, to Metairie and uh, ridiculed him all the time about moving there and, <laughs> and, and uh, tried to keep him on edge. And... Just, and of course, I loved this, this when he was in Mid City. You know, I followed him there. I followed him everywhere he went. Oh, Chateaubriand. Uh, at Chateaubriand, yeah, I went there too. And uh, I love you know, Chateaubriand. He would have a big crowd wherever he went. Anyway, he's just yeah. a great guy. I really liked him. He was a runner, as you said. Now, I was told Evelyn told me that he died in his sleep. That it was oh, a very really? peaceful thing. That's what he she told me up. too. She uh-huh. said that yeah. uh, he was lying in the bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, you know, got in with him. And then they were watching television, something mm-hmm. on television. And something was funny. And she leaned over to him and said, Gerard, 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 mm. Gerard. Mm. Mm. That was it. That's wow. a good way to go. That's a very it good, is the very best good way to go. I think so. I hope it was a good show. <laughs> It was just yeah. one of those things. That's it. Just That's one of those perfect, things. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah. Let That's me tell you, this is the one more, one more Gerard story if you have time. Sure. The, um, and back in those days, Tom, by the way, I used to print labels for that magazine place you worked for. Remember in the back of uh, uh, the Kenilworth Shopping Center? There was a little Chinese place with this guy that had this great oh, the Chinese Peking? food. And, what was, was that it called? the Peking? Oh, the, yeah, the Peking. Uh, he, yeah, what was the guy's name? He was a Kenny. mover was and shaker. Kenny. Kenny? Yeah. Was it Kenny? Kenny Chung. Yeah. 
anyway, I like that. I like that place, and I used oh, to see uh, you in there. Just he, he lived out in New Orleans East. As a matter of fact, he was in the same uh, strip mall that he that uh, Gerard was. Yeah, that's what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah, and then they had you know it's uh, we used to go there all the time yeah. too. That was a good Chinese place. Yeah. But I've been talking about a long time in the seven in the maybe the early seventies time when you were working for the New Orleans Magazine. I think it was. Yeah, and I had a, I had a, I had a, uh, I was producing labels, these Cheshire labels for oh. some guy that was in in your office. I can't remember his name. He was quite a character too. He'd come pick them up. <laughs> New Orleans has a probably... lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't remember the guy's name. What was it? Which I don't one? Know what his name was. Ring a bell with me. No, he Chuck. well, I, you weren't involved, you know. I just knew you worked there. I was a mm. I was a, a Mr. Food fan way back then too, mm. but I didn't have any any interaction with you. But I did interact with him, and he was he was he worked for the New Orleans Magazine, and I know they needed labels, and mm. I would just run the labels for him at night. I want to mm. tell you one more thing about Gerard, if you have time, though. Go yeah. Mm -hmm. The um, he he was quite the uh, Evelyn. I thought was beautiful, and. Mm. We were in the flooring business, and I had a uh, one night I was in there, and he told me he came to the table after I complained about the Papavoir, the floating island, or ridiculed as something. And he told me that uh, he had some carpet installed, and he thought something was wrong with it, and he wanted me to go look at it. So I went to his house and looked at it, and uh, you know, tried to help. And and then when I came back the next Friday, when I went back to dinner, he came to the table and he said, well, did you see anything on my carpet? And I said, Gerard, he said, you know, that your bedroom is beautiful and those mirrors on the roof and Evelyn was showing me how, and he says, what? You know, he gets all in his French indignancy and goes and gets Evelyn and sees calms him down. Gerard, he's kidding. He's kidding. <laughs> that was fun. Boy, it but sounds like everybody there. was picking on Gerard all the time. That's, he was, that's too bad. You know, he, he was, he's so likable, and he was so sincere and he so serious that. about what he was doing. It's yeah, almost, very it was, intense. It was fun. Intense. Yeah. All right. Thank you for calling, Deb. Okay. we got to take a break. No, well, th Appreciate th it. Thanks bye -bye. for talking to me. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Food Show, which sounds like a almost a This Is Your Life tribute to Gerard Croger. I didn't expect to get quite well so deserved. many calls. He was a great restaurateur, and uh, this is our vintage segment of the show, and apparently there are a lot of people who want to reminisce about Gerard Croger in his various restaurants, and uh, we will continue to do that. He was obviously uh, much beloved. I, I, I only experienced his restaurants a couple of times, but uh, the one that I preferred the most was definitely uh, Chateaubriand. And that was the one that sort of did him in. And it's too bad because it was a great steakhouse. That was a steakhouse in the era of steakhouses, unique ones, and that was a good one. You're listening to WGSO, the food show, 990 here in New Orleans. It's time for the Louisiana Radio Network at 3.30. Louisiana Radio Network, I'm Matt Doyle. Tort reform legislation aimed at lowering auto insurance rates appears to have a majority support in both chambers, but may not have the two-thirds majority in the House needed to overturn a veto from Governor Edwards. Despite that, Governor Edwards indicated he is open to compromising with Republicans on one of the session's signature pieces of legislation. I happen to believe that it's possible to have a compromise on that bill without some of the provisions that are most disagreeable to some people, and we're working to see whether that's possible. Edwards did not specify what those provisions are, and as if COVID-19 wasn't enough, now NOAA is predicting an above-average hurricane season. 
NOAA Acting Administrator Dr. Neil Jacobs says we have the potential to see 13 to 19 named storms, 6 to 10 hurricanes, and 3 to 6 major hurricanes, and to more accurately track them, they're going to be upgrading their systems. This will help improve forecasts of hurricane track and intensity during the critical watch and warning time frame. LRN. Hello, this is Rosie the Skunk for Atmos Energy. You might think I make a bad smell. I mean, of course you do. Why wouldn't you? After all, I'm a skunk. But my stinky fragrance is nothing compared to the rotten egg smell of a gas leak, because that could be dangerous. So if you think you smell a leak or encounter other signs, such as hearing a hissing or blowing sound or seeing a vapor cloud, blowing dirt or bubbling water, do not smoke, talk on the phone, turn on or off equipment or vehicles, or do anything that could cause a spark. Leave the area immediately. Then call 911 and Atmos Energy. Atmos Energy will send a trained technician to investigate the situation. Take it from a skunk. Gas leaks just plain stink. Seriously, there's no gray area here. When dealing with gas leaks, it's black and white. Yep, that's a little skunk humor there. For more information, visit atmosenergy.com slash gas safety. I remember the day when someone at the radio station brought me a bottle of Cousin's salad dressing. It was made by a young couple in small batches, and it was delicious. I was proud to have them sponsor my show just as I am now, but the line has expanded since then to include an olive oil, an herb vinaigrette, fresh salsa, and blue cheese, as well as an original Creole tomato, a delicious dressing that also makes a great quick dip. Cousins Salad Dressings, in the produce section at your favorite store, CousinsProducts.com. When you're awake, the things you think come from the dreams you dream. Thought has wings, and lots of things are seldom what they seem. True, true, true. You're listening to The Food Show with Tom and Marianne Fitzmorris, and we are talking about Gerard Crochet and the various restaurants that he had. If you would like to chat with us, we only have a half hour left to do that. 556-9696. But first, let's talk about GW Fins because they're back open with limited seating Wednesday through Sunday. I know you love GW Fins. Tom, Hmm? you love GW Fins, don't you? GW Fins, oh yeah, who doesn't? Unless you don't like seafood. Yeah, terrific, terrific place with all kinds of great stuff. Besides just the standard dining in, they are still offering their curbside pickup of the $39 three-course Fin Feast Dinner, Mm. which is a great value. It changes every day, so go to the website, gwfins.com, and you will see the menu for today. It's a $39 three-course Fin Feast Dinner. It is. It, It is. It absolutely is. But in addition to that, they have begun, as a result of this whole situation, to sell some of their house secrets, like mm. their biscuits that are absolutely incredible and make amazing pancakes. Mm. They have a biscuit mix, and you can pick that up. It makes six biscuits or I think per a person? batch of pancakes. Like, no, no, a batch of pancakes. That's you just kid. add milk and egg. It's it's a really great – I love this mix and I don't ever use mixes. We have picked up their barbecue shrimp compound. I will never make barbecue shrimp the old way again. It is so simple. You open up the compound. You put it on the fresh, uh, fresh shrimp. 
and just put it in the oven and oh my gosh, it is really fantastic. I have used the lemon caper butter also on grilling fish for you, which you loved, right? Remember that fish that I made, the snapper? Mm -hmm. It had that lemon caper butter on it. Yeah, it was really, really good. They have other butter sauces. They have glazes that you can buy and the salty malty ice cream. Go to GWFins.com for their curbside menu for details. GWFins, 808 Bienville. The phone number is 581-3467. That is GWFins in the French Quarter. Back to Gerard Crozier. So after he moved to Metairie, which I have to say, I don't know. I went to the one out in New Orleans East, and it was more like the restaurant that you would expect a French restaurant to be. And then they moved to Metairie, and that seemed to be really a casual kind of place. Really kind of, the atmosphere just didn't really match the food. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, at least at the beginning. Because mm-hmm. nobody could get their heads around what was going on there. It was just too strange a neighborhood. Yeah, it uh, was, yeah. And uh, once it, somebody had been there and tried it, then the next thing you know, they weren't there anymore. They were off uh, back. It was great food, but it just it, it was just too casual, I thought, for the kind of too food casual? that was being for, for the kind of food that was being served there. You know, oh, the, you might for be Crochet's that. food, that was kind of a too casual yeah. space, and it just kind of was almost incongruous. And then he wound up, why did he move from Metairie, Tom, to Chateaubriand? What uh, was that about? The, that well, I can tell you exactly what that was about. The streetcar had just been put in, the new well, streetcar. Well, no, I'm talking about in Metairie. He left Metairie, Metairie. and moved to Chateaubriand. And from Metairie uh, to, to Metairie to, to Chateaubriand. Chateaubriand. He closed Crochet's. Yeah. Actually, actually, you know what happened? I think he sold Crochet's and it stayed Crochet's, but not with him. Is that right or wrong? He, he, it that was, seems like he sold it to uh, a guy who was uh, in the restaurant business, but had never had a restaurant. And and he left the name on it though, right? Yeah. It was, okay, and that didn't work so well. But then he had moved on to Chateaubriand, right Chateaubriand, there at yeah. Bienville and Carrollton, in that really cool building. It was a, it was an old building yeah. where they sold um, uh, seeds for ah feed store yeah. yeah and it was a big feed uh-huh. store it's a too. very cool building and that it was is. a beautiful and they restaurant Shoney's in it too I remember that good old Shoney's yeah Shoney's, that's where my yeah. daughter and my husband my, my husband wait was great. there a Shoney's while that was there or did he take over the space that was Shoney's was Chateaubriand uh, no the Shoney's, space that was Shoney's Shoney's was later the it was the okay. the, the a seed company that was okay the and then Shoney's and then they took over where Shoney's was yeah but boy was that a nice looking restaurant it was a beautiful restaurant yeah, it was. and it was it was a glamorous restaurant and it was delicious the steaks were delicious I mean everything was delicious but anyway it's too bad because that between the streetcar and then Katrina it oh, was just it was tar. it was tar. lights out just for them the, the, yeah the racket that came yeah up. it's um, too bad well. I mean, and that's when I think he finally just said, you know, I'm done with this. This was just, yeah, was, well, that was it, a, it a bridge too far. Because they were, they had since gotten Chateaubriand, and now it was still underwater. And it, it, yeah, it was, he, after three or four times, he just said, yeah, I, I give up. This isn't, yeah. this isn't. Uh, I moved for, to the mountains of Tennessee, yeah. and then that was it. Yeah, so when but it's too bad. Not quitting, Very fondly very remembered accepting. place, Crozier's and Gerard Crozier. And I now feel even sorrier for him because it sounds to me like all of his customers used to pick on him. 
Like it was almost like sport. You go in there for a delicious meal and some sport. Oh, he could he could pick right back. No, he definitely did. That's for sure. He, I, no problem there. Yeah, I, I, he I once definitely told me, see that. I'm not taking your five star anymore. And I said, okay. <laughs> and we had a weird exchange about the, that. Yeah. Uh huh. What was that about? He was just picking at you. Well, uh, he was the big French guy in that book uh -huh. or that location uh and it wasn't me yeah, yeah basically uh-huh no no he was always he was always giving me a razz about that well you yeah. all i know were picking at each other so i guess i uh, guess maybe it was a mutual thing across the board so tom i know that you have in your almanac today we have a little bit more time for the almanac too um in 1917 the birthday of actor raymond burr yeah and i was wondering why because usually <laughs> Usually everything that's in this almanac yeah. has some relation to food in some way. So yeah. I'm looking at his name, Raymond Burr. Is a burr a, a delicacy or something? I mean, I was just trying to figure that out. But the reason that he's in your almanac, uh, you, you have in here that he started in radio in westerns, but became mm -hmm. a superstar in the title role of Perry Mason. Right. He was a, and, and even on, before that, he was a radio superstar. Yeah, but but he has nothing to do with food except you take you keep reading and you get to why he's in there. As could be told by the growing si by his growing size, he was a dedicated eater. He yes, was a big he was. eater, and he's you ran man. into him at Commander's Palace often. Is that right? Did you did you ever see him there, or he, he just was, was a regular that, you know, there? I, I haven't heard that in a long time, but he was a regular. There. Yeah, he was a regular. There. But did did you ever see him there? Uh, no, you know who I did see over there was Commander's Palace. That's what I'm saying. Did you did you see him at Commander's Palace? I did. You did see him. Yeah, there. I yeah. Was, just a minute ago, I was talking about Gerard Crozier. No, we're back. Hey, so we got okay. to drag you with us. We're moving on. We're moving past Gerard Crozier. We're on to Raymond okay. Burr now, and back right. to the last few things in your mm -hmm. almanac that we can get to. But Raymond Burr, who, mm -hmm. as I said doesn't really belong in the almanac because everything in the almanac is related somehow to food. Yeah. Except in his case, his name usually, but in his case, it's just that what relates him to the almanac is that um, he used to eat a lot at Commander's Palace when he was yeah. in town. That's right. And did you see him there? Never saw him there. You never saw him. You just heard that he was there. I heard on numerous occasions from the Brennans that uh -huh. he had been there more than a few times. They thought he was a regular customer for them. Right. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and that's that's as close as you got to him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Any any strange dining proclivities that uh, only, that they related the, about him? Only the kind I would ever repeat. No, I have no idea. <laughs> I've never met him. I don't I I don't know anything. I about said him. dining. I said dining. All right, Tom, your rule number three twenty in your dining rules. If you have to choose between ordering breakfast a la carte mm -hmm. or getting it from the buffet the presence of fresh blackberries on the ladder is the decision toward the buffet. Yeah, for you? No, because no. I would always get the buffet anyway. Oh. <laughs> I would always get the buffet. And not because I, I like berries. I do love berries. Actually, berries is a fruit, and fruit is something I don't normally gravitate toward. But I try to eat more berries because they're good for you. And mm -hmm. since blackberries are really good for you, and blackberries is sort of the theme of your almanac today, I will say this about blackberries. I love to pick blackberries, 
but big, fat, gigantic, almost sliceable blackberries always come from Chile, don't they? I've never heard that before, but I don't doubt that it's true. Well, I, they don't come from here. I haven't seen blackberries that are really, really big. Um, I, I haven't really investigated a lot of them, but usually when we get the giant blackberries in the store, they are from Mexico or someplace like that, mm -hmm. south of the border. And, uh, and they're good and they're, they're tasty and they're meaty and all that. But, um, I, I just, I mean, I eat them because I know they're good for me, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. I do like to, I do like to pick them though. I have to say. Five five six nine six nine six is the number. There is a quote from Plato in your almanac. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's. Is and it one should one? always repeat Plato quotes. No, it's very simple actually. Oh, <laughs> it's, what is it? It's pepper is small in quantity and great in virtue, which oh. I guess is true. But they weren't they weren't trekking pepper across the world at the time of Plato. As a matter of fact. Plato, I, I would think that pepper wouldn't have been really all that discovered by that time. We were talking 437 BC, I think you said, right? Well, so you could have done it if you went to Jesuit. So who was, who was well, you could, you could quote Plato, I guess, but um, I don't know, I don't know how he would have run across Plato, I mean, how across, how he would have run across pepper. It doesn't seem like, it seems to me like, you know, at the time of Marco Polo and the spice trades, that was way, way later than 437 BC. I mean, you know, I can't oh, imagine that, too much, too much ancient pepper. Anyway, I'm just musing at this point. You're listening to WGSO 5569696. We will be right back. Tony Mandina's roots go back to Salaparuta, Sicily. His father left in 1924, but those connections are still powerful. The restaurant uses extra virgin olive oil and wines made at Villa Mandina in the ancestral home. Tony's restaurant started in 1982 with 14 tables and has grown to seat 180, with his daughters and granddaughter running it now. Now this West Bank favorite still serves their delicious Sicilian New Orleans menu in a place that feels like home and pick up some of their famous red gravies sold in groceries all over town. Tony Mandina's 1915 Pratt Street, Gretna, 362-2010. Basil's Ace Hardware has been the center for your grilling needs for over 15 years. That's when I first got my big green egg, which I use more than ever lately. Fred also has Traeger grills and Weber grills and all the accessories for them. Charcoal and pellets and propane, as well as rubs and grilling utensils. Remember, a great cookout always begins with the right hardware. Basil's Ace Hardware, 4419 Transcontinental Metairie, 888-8588. I get misty just holding your hand. Yes, you do. You don't do it very much, but you do. No, I don't. I, I would if I had the... <laughs> if you had the opportunity. 5569696 is the number. It's a food show, the reboot on WGSO. You know, the last commercial, Tom, was Basil's. Basil's? Yes, Basil's, Basil's oh, which is a great place to go if you're looking hardware. for gr grilling things. But I am going to tag that commercial because I have discovered something. You know, when I... Since we've been in lockdown, 
pretty much my entire going out experience, and this sounds really sad, but it's true, is to the store. Yeah. So I go to the store just for like a little joy ride. I mean, I might just mm-hmm. go pick up one or two things, but I love going to the store. I mean, yeah. I never realized how much I love going to the store. So we've been doing a lot of grilling on the Big mm-hmm. Green Egg. And, you know, Wesley Rabelais was talking about um, – discovering the benefits of charcoal grilling, which a lot of people still haven't discovered. Remember when you were on your kick that the only kind of grilling to ever do is charcoal? You're still on that, really. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that because there are a lot of things that are a lot of trouble to, to do that. And they take a long time to get fired up, too. But if you're in a position where you can do that, I, I think it's the way to go. I mean, yeah. it, there's so much else in there in terms of flavors and yeah and i I, that's well i've learned a lot about this um i've never really paid much attention to it until lately when we've been doing all of the grilling that we've been doing and it was pretty much sort of you would just sort of take care of that but i've been sort of doing that now and we have this little piece of equipment that you put inside you know the charcoal to get it started thank Mm -hmm. god i don't have to light a match and get a, a bunch of charcoal started. And I didn't really realize that charcoal hardwood and charcoal briquettes are as different as they are. I mean, I grew up with a guy who grilled with charcoal briquettes that already had lighter fluid on it. And the food that came off of the grill was always sort of a charcoal itself, you know? Yeah. Do you remember Pazzi's grilling? It was pretty. It was pretty. Uh, uh, a little bit. It was it, pretty charred. It always is, seemed to is, me that the uh, the, the male uh, members of the family did it pretty much, and and Pazzi Inten- was back in the way. Pretty intently, <clears throat> they did it pretty intently. But my point in all this is, when I've been going to the store lately, we have to get Nicole Dorignac on again to talk about, and maybe we'll get this to be a regular feature of it's sort of like a commodities trader, like what is missing from your shelves in the store today? I mean, you would expect disinfectant. I would expect that there'd be a lot of holes in the shelves for disinfectant because, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously these are the times. I wasn't expecting that you would not be able to get a bag of flour. That went on for a while. I think that's still true. But what I've noticed in the last week, and maybe this is because Memorial Day is coming up or something, but there's a run on charcoal. Really? Yeah, I mean, not charcoal briquettes, but the kind of charcoal that we've been using. Yeah, the real charcoal, hardwood hardwood charcoal is what it's called. Uh So I wound up, you know, I've got a new rule now where if I see something that I need, I'm going to get a second one because who knows when I'll get it again. So we got some charcoal. We always let charcoal, or previous to this period of time, we would have charcoal and then it would get rained on, but it didn't really matter because we were never cooking at home anyway. But now we need our big green egg and we need it to be fired up when we need it to be fired up. And so we are using Mm -hmm. a lot more charcoal. So I went to go get some charcoal the other day and I went to four stores and I still 
wasn't able to get it until I went to Walmart and I had to get a massive bag, like a 30 pound bag. So I went into the store without a, a basket thinking I was just going to carry a bag of normal sized charcoal out. And then I had to go all the way back to the front of the store to get a basket to put this gigantic bag of charcoal in. So I wanted to tag, I'm still working up to tagging the commercial for Basil's, which is he has charcoal. So if you are having trouble finding charcoal as I am, then you might want to go over there because uh, it's it's time to start thinking outside the box in that's, these times when you can't find what you need. That's one of their uh, great specialties over there. What, all the uh, the accoutrements for these grills that he has? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. The, the whole, grills uh, and pellets and charcoal and propane and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. They have it all. They have yeah, the, they the woods. They have yeah. the other things. Well, I'm going to have to go start shopping there. To get my charcoal. Basil's Ace Hardware. Yeah. yeah because he's a, he's a, a, a really nice guy. Because you can't get at the store. And, and just, you know. He's a very nice shoot guy. Shoot the breeze with him. He's he'll, a very nice he'll guy. He'll come up with what And he's, he's going to help you with any way, any way he can. But um, I just, you know, I wouldn't expect that I would have to go to a grilling central place to get charcoal. And thank mm -hmm. heaven he has it because other people do not have it. And that's the point of what I'm trying to say, because it's been really hard to find charcoal. Mm. And and it's coming up on Memorial Day, which is probably maybe a reason why. But um, I don't know. I, I know that we, we're, we're set now. I don't have to worry about it because we have this gigantic bag of charcoal. But uh, if you are if you're thinking about grilling this weekend, just heads up. It might not be that easy to find charcoal because the things that you used to just take for granted, you can't really take for granted anymore. You know who else is in your almanac, Tom? No. Who? Armand Hammer. Oh, oh. <laughs> who Armand. was, well, there's a lot to say about Armand Hammer, there's a, but. There's an actor whose name is. <laughs> Army Hammer. Army Hammer. Army Hammer, My, yes. uh, Jude uh, pointed him out. He knew. He uh, worked with him. He worked with him. Yeah. Yeah, he worked with him. That's but um, but uh, there's a, he. One day, Mary Lee and I were in Pasadena, and we were we just like to kind of drive around looking at gorgeous houses, and so we were driving down this road, and um, there was this really cool compound that you could see goes way back to like the, the Arroyo, they call it. And um, it was boarded up. And mm. I was wondering, you know, gosh, this is such a cool place because there was clearly some event that happened there. And it's this neighborhood of gorgeous mansions. And this thing was just sort of sitting there. And I was just wondering, what, what happened there? You know, what, what, what was going on there? So we looked it up on, uh, we took the address and we looked it up. And it was the compound of Armand Hammer. And uh, there was this massive, like, castle there. And then it caught on fire and it burned to the ground and it just sort mm -hmm. of sat there. And so maybe the, maybe the event was so traumatic or something, the property's just sitting there worth millions of dollars, of course. But anyway, that's my Armand Hammer story. But the reason he is in your almanac is because he's baking soda. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Now, did he... Um, they have all the products, the cleaning products, mm -hmm. the suds and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And the baking soda, which came before which, do you know? 
I think. Uh, did it start out as a baking soda thing, or did it start I'm out gonna, as a cleaning I'm say products the thing? It's been around the longest. A baking soda? Yeah. A baking soda? I'm just guessing. Uh-huh. What's the difference in baking soda and baking powder? Ah. How does that work? That's they're not a, interchangeable, are they? No. Okay. No, they're so, two completely yeah, different Yeah, and what, what is the difference? Well, one of them is Armin... Uh, Armin so, Hammer? Uh, no, that's the second one. Oh, and one is Clabber Girl? Is it Clabber? Clabber Girl is is closer to... That. It's the powder. Clabber yeah. Girl is the powder. So, yeah, and then uh -huh. you have... Uh, this is a Warren LaRuth uh, ah, quotation. Ah, so we know it's good. This? We know it's good. You, have I ever told you this story? This is the one about Manresa? Yeah. Okay, you can say it. Go ahead. Okay, so... Uh, but does it's, it answer the, the, the primary question here, which is, which yeah. is the difference? Yeah. Okay. He, uh, okay. Uh, it was... Warren LaRuth was, was at Manresa in your group, yeah. and you were having and breakfast. We were sitting at the same table, uh -huh. and you're not supposed to, to right. talk right. when you're at mm -hmm. Manresa. And, yes. and I always lived to that. Uh-huh. And he... Uh, because you're a good boy and, and you follow all the rules, there, unlike was, me. This was sitting here, this is me sitting here. And he uh -huh. wrote something and he folded it up and yeah. he, he like reached under the table. Uh-huh. And I gave, gave it a little look and then I, I opened and by that time he had left. But I opened it up and it said the, the piece of paper said too much uh powder in the Biscuits. Uh, biscuit. Uh, yeah. Too much baking powder in the biscuits. The, uh, yeah. There's baking powder and there's there's baking soda. Baking soda. So yeah. Armand Hammer is a baking soda and Clabber Girls the baking powder. Now, what's the difference in those two? Well, the the uh, chemistry of them is totally different. Okay. What what and, results do you get with what? Well, you uh, you have to use about three times as much as you would use uh, soda. For, so baking powder is the more powerful one. It's, uh, yeah, I guess you could say you could say that. Okay. And you you, you use more of it. Uh, Wait, the, of baking soda. You yeah. said use more baking soda, and you get so they both leaven things, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But they don't do it the same way. Okay, and so, do you know how they differ? Oh, I'd have to look that up. But okay. It's easy enough to find out, but that's that's the story. Uh -huh. uh, and they are not the same. They're, they're, they're not. Uh, Which do you prefer using? I use both of them all the time. Okay. Uh huh. And which one is used in in self rising flour? Is that baking powder or baking soda? Again, I tell you, they're not the same thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Which one is used in in self rising flour? Is it baking powder? Like if you if you were trying to make like we we kind of cut corners, and when we started making biscuits. We skipped from flour and a leavening agent to just self-rising flour. So, what leavening self agent? Self-rising, we didn't. We did. We always yeah. used. We had two flours. We had an all-purpose flour, and we had a self-rising flour. And we always used for baking. We would cut corners and use the self-rising if it was like pancakes or biscuits. But which one of those things is included in self-rising flour to make it self-rising? Is it the powder or the soda? Uh, again, I mean, it's they're, they're both part of the uh, formula. Mm -hmm. It's just, let me show you. Uh, a, and you're not going to draw like a chemical formula, are you, Tom? No. Well, <laughs> First of all, you can't see it. But anyway, uh, I am curious about that because um, I use those two things interchangeably. Because I don't really pay much attention to recipes, and to uh, me, it's all the same. Soda. If you're leavening it, you're soda. leavening it. 
uh, and it's like if I don't, if I see a recipe and it has baking powder that's called for, and I don't have any baking powder, I'll go get the baking soda and I'll use that. But now I know that I need to use a lot more baking soda than baking powder. Actually, I just really use the self-rising flour. All right, we're about to wind down the show as Tom tries to find uh, the difference in these. Oh, so you have an actual formula. Okay. Three, Three quarters, quarters of it is, so what is it, soda? No, soda's down here. Yeah, the this powder is, is three quarters. Powder. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tom is, is, as we speak, racing against time to, to write down okay. the formula so here. here. Okay, three so quarters of the pile. Uh huh. Of the powder. Three quarters. I then, see. I see. Okay. And then okay. I don't, powder. Okay, so three quarters of a tablespoon of baking soda equals one quarter of a tablespoon of baking powder. Is yeah. that what you're trying to say? Yeah, that's right. <sighs> you can you can Ooh, I'm sweating. Here's another thing. You can use only one and not the other at all. Oh you can't use them together. No, you can do it the other yeah, way. Yeah that's around. what I'm saying. I, I use I if I see that I don't have one, I go to the other one. Yeah. But I've never really I've never really known that there's actually a formula, so that's good to know. I and, mean and I, I might actually another, try that when I here's another Okay, you've got about ten seconds to tell us really okay. quickly. Uh, these are so different from one another uh -huh. that you can, they're completely interchangeable yeah. recipes. Okay, but you have to, you just have to accommodate for the amounts of them. Yeah. All right, that's it for us, folks. We're coming up on four o'clock here on The Food Show with the Fitzmorris' WGSO 990 New Orleans. It's four o'clock and time for the news. See you tomorrow. Join me, BJ Rust, every Saturday morning from 11 a.m. to noon for the Something to Say radio show right here on WGSO 990 a.m. New Orleans, Louisiana. The psyche of our country, uh, beyond, I mean, to me, they use the word essential. I think churches are essential. Uh, 